ready to take your legal questions here. This is the time of the show where I will uh, get you on the phone. You'll talk to my producer, give me a quick little blurb about what your issue is and what your problem is and what you're looking for. And hopefully I can steer you in the right direction, if not answer your question. And the number here is 312-981-7200, 312-981-7200. And while my producer is taking the calls and, and sending them over to me, I want to give out my phone number at the office in case you want to talk to me in private. Always available to do that. The best number is 312-332-7800. Uh, it's always better to email me, though, because then you can write a little bit more and you can tell me what county you're in, when it happened, and what you're expecting. Uh, and I can sometimes uh, just send you an email in return, giving you a link or a referral or a source or a website to, to try to get your answer. And that email address is wgn at AskKarenConti.com, WGN at AskKarenConti.com, and that's K-A-R-E-N-C-O-N-T-I, 312-981-7200. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to WGN. Hi, Karen. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, so uh, I'm calling not about uh, a specific situation we're encountering right now because we've already been through and and I will say been traumatized by the juvenile justice system in Illinois. Um, I'm calling as a mom, and sometimes that title is just a mom. What does she know? How dare she? And I I wanted to bring up the conversation about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, FASD. And um, certainly it's something that we were dealing with with, um, with our son that we adopted. And there was a resolution by the American Bar Association in 2012 that urged attorneys and judges and legal systems <clears throat> to get training to enhance awareness of this and its impact on individuals in child welfare and juvenile justice. Um, I, nothing, to my knowledge, has been done. And if I ever bring up that resolution, first of all, it's met with how dare she? Um, and second of all, n- no probation officers, no attorneys, no judges seem to know about this. And I would add that second appellate uh, judge of the second appellate district here in Illinois, Joe Burkett, he published a letter in the State Journal Register two years ago um, talking about it is up to Illinois judge and judges and lawyers to begin to educate others in their field and embrace a court system that acts accordingly to those affected by FASD. And we know from studies that adolescents affected by FASD are 19 to 40 times more likely to become involved in the juvenile justice system. And we know that the average age they begin having trouble with a lot is 12.8 years. And so I guess it's just sort of, you know, opening up the discussion. And and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Why the, the legal system and the juvenile justice system, which certainly is supposed to be rehabilitative, seems to know nothing and have no urgency on this matter. Uh, Michelle, that's that's an interesting uh, question you bring up, and especially now because uh, I don't know if you followed the Parkland uh, shooting case, but that's going on right now where a jury is sitting to determine whether or not 
uh, the young man who killed 17 down in Florida uh, will be sentenced to life or death. And my understanding, and I, I could be off, I could be wrong on it, but my understanding is that he, he was born with that syndrome, that very syndrome, and that is going to be one of the uh, defenses in, in his case with his lawyers spelling out that people with the syndrome do uh, run into contact with the criminal justice system. Let me just say this. I don't know this issue that you're talking about, this specific issue, but I think that the whole issue of mental illness and crime uh, is a problem. And I think that it, this this cuts across criminal justice system. This cuts across the divorce cases. When you have people who have different kinds of mental illness, and again, I, I think we always need to say this, Michelle, and I'm sure you'll agree that people with mental illness are more likely to be victims of crime than to be uh, perpetrators of crime. But there are certain things that judges and prosecutors and parole officers really need to understand about mental illness in dealing with them. And again, we I don't think you and I are saying exonerate everybody who has this syndrome or, you know, uh, let them out of jail if they, if they have mental illness. That's not what we're saying. We're saying is take into account these things when you are sentencing and when you are treating and you're trying to get people back out on the street to be safe, right? You know, you want them, if, if they are going to get out, then, then they need to be safe to society and, and there needs to be some understanding of that. I guess what I want to say before I get to other questions and calls, Michelle, what is it that you would like to see in relation to this? Uh, well, I mean, I have started working with the, the IDJJ, Illinois Department of Juvenile Justice, to get some language that it's in the recommendations that um, that people who are in the, the IDJJ facilities be trained in trying to identify when, when youth come in and then intervening effectively. But ideally, we, you know, we, we'd like to see that before they even come through the doors of those facilities. We'd like to see it be something recognized in the courts, definitely, and so that we can get more interventions and, and proactively work with these individuals. And FASD is a difficult one because it kind of falls in between mental health, but also truly it's a brain disability. Yes. Well, thank you for that, and, and I hope that, that someone in people are listening, and I continue your good work because I think it's really important. And I think, uh, again, we're seeing it not only in the criminal justice system, but you know, even the police officers need more training, and everyone needs more training so we know what we're dealing with. But thanks for the call, and thank you for the, the um, intelligent thoughts. And you know what? I think moms rule the world, so there you go. Karen. All right. Take care, Michelle. Have a good one. Let's uh, go to Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Welcome to WGN. Hi. Um, how do you know if you have a class action suit against a product? Okay. Um, have you been notified by a class action attorney that there is such a class action on file? No, but what if I wanted to bring one forward? I guess that's what I'm trying to discover. Sure. Um, I think that what you would do is you'd reach out to a class action lawyer here in Chicago. We have many of them. Uh, and this is something that I can help you with. I actually have somebody in mind who is a fabulous class action lawyer. He does all kinds of uh, big suits, uh, not only with products uh, and those types of torts, but also financial uh, issues with insurance companies and the like. So okay. and do you want to talk about it or do you not want to talk about it on air? <laughs> Well, it, I mean, it's. I, I'm just wondering. You know, I went to uh, one of the uh, big stores, and there's a product on the market, and they they um, 
when you pick up one package, it's uh, said it does this, does that, does that. And then I looked at the ingredients, and then I looked at another package from the same manufacturer, and it's marketed differently, and it's the exact same ingredients. Oh, interesting. Is that allowed? Yeah, I mean, I this is something that this is something that you would talk to a very experienced class action lawyer because there are rules about this, and Ooh, um, you know you okay. see this all the time. In fact, uh, we are, I was just talking to Steve Dale last week on his show about how Skittles has been sued in a class action because it is using certain preservatives or some some chemical yeah. you know you see this stuff all the time but the the purpose is to talk to a you know you would want to talk to a lawyer to for the purposes of getting the lawyer to understand what the situation was is this fraud is this um is this uh, packaging somehow right. um deceptive in any way and there are ways to uh to bring that to, to the court's attention so kathy why don't you send me an email um wgn okay. at uh-huh. askkarenconti.com and I have a lawyer in mind who's actually been on the show, and I'm going to uh, send it to him and see what he thinks, okay? Now, should I divulge the product in the email to you? Yes, and because when you talk to me, it's confidential, and right. uh, you know, and I won't mention it to the lawyer until you talk to him, okay? Okay, All right. thank you. All right, good luck. Uh, let's talk to Dave. Uh, do we have time here? Let's see. Actually, no. Dave, can you hold? I hope you can. I hear you nodding on the on the other end. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be taking more legal questions here. 312-981-7200. The lines are wide open. And uh, let me give out my phone number at the office. Again, in case you have a question that you'd like to speak to me you know, privately or, um, or it has a little bit more substance and detail. 312-332-332. 7800. And my email address is wgn at askkarenconti.com. And again, number here for the calls for the next 30 minutes. I'll be taking them here on WGN 312-981-7200. Let's get right to it. Dave, welcome to the show. You have a question about probation. What's your question? Well, my question is, if someone gets a community-based sentence like probation, and there's a documented mental health diagnosis, can they be court-ordered to comply with taking prescribed medication? Yes, uh, you can. The judge has a really broad discretion. Uh, just for purposes of, of uh, a, a larger answer to your question, the judge can make you, you know, obviously meet with your probation officer, not go out of state, uh, may, can require you to obey laws, including jaywalking, can in, uh, say that you can't take illegal drugs or drink alcohol, submit to drug or alcohol testing, and avoiding certain people in certain places. So because probation is different, um, you know, than say uh, when you're incarcerated or whatever, the, you can you are released on certain conditions, and the conditions uh, could certainly be taking your medicine, especially because I assume there's a situation where a doctor has prescribed it. Is is that something that you want to talk about or not really? Well, no, I, I'm a therapist. I work with probation and parole clients, and you know, sometimes I've seen court orders where someone is or to take prescribed medications, and sometimes there isn't. Yeah, and yes, so, I mean, definitely, especially, and there's, there's all kinds of cases, all kinds of precedent on this, but if, a, if, if the person has a mental illness, you know, that, that needs to be medicated, and the judge believes from the probation department that this person could uh, go, go could pose um, a risk to the public if that person were not on their medicine, then certainly during the probationary period, that person can be ordered to take the prescription medicine. 
Okay, thank right. you. Oh, the, right, thank you. Keep up the good work. And uh, Connie, welcome to WGN. Good afternoon. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I hired one company to install cable and Internet into my house. Uh, they installed it and did a horrible job. Uh, two days later, we asked them to remove all the equipment. It took 14 days. By the time they removed all their equipment and they had to um, hire a company come out and repair the damage, it was uh, holes in my siding and in my roof. So uh, they sent us a bill, and uh, we called them up and told the, they told us at that time to not pay it because we were returned all the equipment and we did not use their service any longer. And I found we got another bill. Again, like last week, and this time it says if we don't pay this bill, they're going to take us. Well, they have it also is another company bought them out. Oh, okay. So, so maybe there's the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Connie, but we try. I'm sorry. I, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna kind of tell you generally. I, you know, I don't know the players, and I don't really need to to know all that. But when you have issues like this, and I'm gonna ask answer this in a broader sense for other people out there who have issues, where you're getting a bill or you're getting something, and you've already talked to somebody and you worked it out, whether it's a hospital bill or what have you. You need to make these kinds of things in writing. And I'm not sure if you have done that completely, but when I say in writing, I mean in in emails. Uh, Who am I speaking to? What is your name? What is your position? What is your email address? And you email them. This confirms that you agreed that you would, I was not going to be billed for the following. Uh, And then when you have that and you have that confirmation, then you can send it on to the company. Otherwise, they're not going to believe you if you say, I talked to somebody. And again, when you're at this really explains what happened because you've got a new company in who may not even have the same people working, um, you know, in the positions that you're talking about. So I would say, uh, is there, do you have a name or a number of somebody or contact information of someone who confirmed this with you? We called uh, the company up and told them uh, we had a name of a supervisor that came out here and his number, badge number or whatever. And, uh, He was the one that removed the company. He uh, was the one that also took the equipment, and he told us not to pay the bill because of of, uh, returning everything and the damage that was done to the house. Connie, I I think... you know, without knowing more facts, I think what you should do is just keep contacting people. If there's a legal department, if there is a customer service and forget the phone, forget the phone. Phones are just irrelevant because you never know who you're talking to. Some of these people obviously are probably working remotely. So you don't even have an office that you're calling. You're calling people in different places. So put everything in writing, put the dates that happened, give the badge number again. This confirms that I was told I wasn't to pay this. I'm getting this bill. Uh, this is a problem. And just keep at it until you until you get what you what, what you need. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. And it's probably not enough money for them to sue you over, but you certainly don't want your credit to be impacted. So good, good right. luck, good luck with did, it. Thank you. I did send them a letter and I did state all the facts in there. And I okay. actually sent both the addresses, but unfortunately, both addresses are P.O. boxes. Yep. I couldn't do a return receipt. It's hard. But this I did is, the best I yeah. could. Yeah, keep, and just keep, I would just keep at it. Thank thank you for the call, Connie. Uh, let's go to Robert. Hi, Robert. Welcome to WGN. Yes. Uh, if someone happens to kill somebody in a car on the streets, 
then drives away from that that accident, and the police happened to stop him. He was driving on the street, but the police stopped him for lack of a license plate. It was unrelated to the murder, and they didn't realize that at the moment he, the police were not in hot pursuit of looking for someone, but they realized once they uh, got the report there was a, a shooting, and uh, they said, hey, that's the guy we just stopped a few minutes ago. Does that police stop because it came without um, a connection to the murder? Does that in some way jeopardize the police? No, uh, no, because if the police were entitled to stop that car for any reason, and it and there there was a license plate issue, then then the police were justified in finding whatever it found there related to other crimes. Uh, there have been a number of crimes over the years that you may recall where police did just that. And uh, I may not get the facts perfectly correct, but Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bombing person, was in a car and uh, he was stopped for some sort of minor violation. And the police officer recognized this, who he was and, and could affect arrest, at least I think either down the line or right then and there. Um, so this happens all the time. I want to say Ted Bundy was caught that way as well by just a technical violation um, uh, an auto- automobile violation. So yeah, I, it's a good question. Meaning, you know, it can if the if the police stop you legitimately, they can search your vehicle under certain circumstances. And if they find evidence of a crime and they find you know that you did something, certainly they were entitled to stop you for that reason and any other reason. Okay. What if there wasn't a particular stop for some reason? What if it was just a suspicion of we want to stop this guy? Well, you can't. The, the police can't stop you just because they want to. You know, they have to have a reason to do that. And if you're speeding, or you're not using your turn signal, or you're following too closely, or you're driving erratically, the police can stop you. But uh, they can't just stop you uh, unless there, there's there's some exceptions to that. But generally, they can't. Mm-hmm. But thank you for the question. Okay. It's, it's a very good one, Robert. Thank you. Uh, give us a call here three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. You're listening to WGN. Go right to the lines. Mary, you have a question about a contractor who's not returning your emails. Did the contractor not finish the job? Um, he did it poorly okay. and correct. Um, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. So he didn't. He did it okay. poorly, and you you are emailing him, and he's not getting back to you. Correct? Yeah. How much yeah. money is it is is it going to cost for you to hire somebody else to go in there and do it right? Sure. About. $15,000. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So it's this is a hard one, Mary, because, uh, you know, some of these contractors are, I'm not going to say fly by night, but they just don't have any incentive yeah. to come back and do this unless they're sued. Yeah. And, you know, your choices are you know, just to keep going, uh, file, uh, you know, with the Better Business Bureau, go into the municipality. Um, was there any bonding or licenses or anything that you had from them? Did you have any, um, did you have a contract with him? I, I have a contract. He is someone that does a lot of work in my neighborhood. So, so, um, so I would just mm-hmm. keep, keep at it 
and keep, and say that you are going to hold him responsible, I would bring another contractor in to give you an estimate of how how this was done in a faulty fashion and put that in I the it, okay yeah. and and then your only other thing is to to sue and uh, or you can hire a lawyer to to draft a letter a demand letter yeah. uh, and that's maybe the first yeah. step. And then you have to decide okay. whether it's worth it to hire a lawyer. Generally speaking, $15,000 is not enough to hire a lawyer to do this. So you probably would be going into small claims court on your own. And then the issue is uh, you have to do this yourself, get a judgment, and then you have to go about collecting it, which is a whole other nightmare in a way. So these are very hard cases. Okay. I, I really I feel bad for you, but I would just say keep at it and make complaints everywhere okay. and see what you can do. Okay. Uh, I have a question about, I live uh, in a townhome uh, community. We have an HOA. Uh, not that they can do anything, but should they, should I talk to them? Sure. Tell them that they, they, that this guy shouldn't be allowed to do work in the, in the condo because, because yeah. he did faulty work. And uh, you want to put him on a list of uh, do not use and, and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, I did tell one of the members, and he he kind of blew me off, but um, I think I need to yeah. tell him again. Yeah, do that again, and I think that would be a good service to your fellow neighbors. Good luck, Mary. Take yeah. care.